All right, so today we're going to look at Zechariah chapter 6. Um, and, and Zechariah 6 is an interesting, and it's a complicated chapter. Um, most people most people split up chapter 6 into two sections. The first is uh, it's talking about God's judgment against the enemies of God, uh, against the enemies of God's people. Uh, the second part, it gives us a picture of... Um, of God's redemption and and protection of His people, and of course that comes through through Christ, and we'll see a a type of Christ as uh, that's symbolized for us in the second part of Zechariah six. Um, in the outlines that I provided on the website jasonvalada dot com, uh, I did like most people do. I, I split this chapter into two sections, um, but the more that I think about it, the more I think that uh, the two sections they they kind of need to go together. And so what I'm gonna try to do is I'm gonna try to do them together in one. Uh, in one podcast here so it'll be both those outlines of chapter six um what we're going to see here is we're going to see the perfect promises of god uh, in the midst of the people's labor to rebuild the city it's the same context as we've seen this is actually the final vision um of the eight night visions that that zechariah has in the in the in the first uh first six chapters um but as the people are toiling away they're trying to rebuild God's temple, reestablish themselves as God's people. Uh, of course, they have enemies all around them. We've seen that before. We've already seen in previous chapters that the the people themselves are getting discouraged uh, about the work that they're doing, about the effectiveness of their work, or the the feasibility of uh, rebuilding the house of God uh, to its former glory. Um, some of the people were turning to their own selfish ends, building their own houses rather than uh, rather than God's house, continuing to work on His house. Um, We've also already seen that Zechariah uh, addressed these internal struggles. And in the last chapter, we saw uh, God doing battle, so to speak, against sin itself. Um, the, the people couldn't just lay back and rest in the promise of God uh, as, as it justifies sinning all they want to. They, of course, they had the promises of God. They were their promises, and those promises would ultimately be fulfilled. Uh, they were promises from God, so uh, there was no stopping them, their fulfillment. Uh, but this didn't mean that the people could just, you know, sin all they want to and not worry about it. Uh, we saw that in the last chapter in the picture that God gave Zechariah of God carrying away the people's sin um, of course we know from a new testament perspective the new heart that god places in his people doesn't allow that kind of mindset you know we uh um we 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 are new creatures in christ jesus and uh, an innate desire to uh, battle against sin dwells within that heart um but here in chapter six we're going to we're going to see um two distinct sections the first is another vision that the lord shows zechariah and the second is a symbolic action that god commands zechariah to accomplish uh and that that action is going to is going to be crowning uh uh, Joshua, the high priest, uh, but we'll see it when we get there uh and, and that's going to illustrate the promise that's coming so this is a very 
dense apocalyptic literature it's very symbolic it's a lot of you know a lot of what we've already seen in Zechariah so um, that's what it's going to be in verse 1 it says again I lifted my eyes and saw and behold four chariots came out from between two mountains and the mountains were mountains of bronze um already started with the uh, the strange pictures from a modern perspective uh, chariots in the ancient world uh, they they weren't just a means of transportation they were instruments of war uh, they were instruments used to, to conquer uh, people you know many times in the Bible men are chastised for trusting in the security that uh, you know they thought they had because they had a lot of chariots you know they were they were like uh, like cavalry well, I guess they were cavalry really but they were they were used to just mow over people and and different different ways they were used in war but that was their primary purpose was seen in in battle to do battle army with a lot of chariots uh was a strong and fierce army for you know for example uh psalm 20 verse 7 uh says some boast in chariots and some in horses but we will boast in the name of the lord our god you know they were boasting in their chariots because of how great their their army was how strong they were uh, isaiah 31 1 says woe to them that go down to egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many they were trusting in their strength so over and over again through the bible you see that the chariot is uh, chariots are used to um, as instruments of war, uh, and even in the ancient world, you know they were they were uh, seen. You know, I get a picture of a. Uh, I'm always thinking in the Roman mindset, which was years and years and years later after Zechariah prophesied, but prophesied. But even then, chariots were used in war, and they were used as the uh, the emperors would come and parade their their spoils of war, their uh, victorious triumphs through the city that's what i think of when i think of these chariots um but these chariots they're they're not just carrying riders around uh zachariah would uh he would have immediately known what this meant although you know the angel's going to explain the vision to him later these chariots were going out to war um we'll talk about this a little more when we look at the color of the horses it's going to tell us what color the horses are and what those represent but in verse one notice that the chariots that are coming out they're coming out from between two bronze mountains now that's it's really strange and it's almost as if zechariah wants to emphasize uh, the fact that the mountains were bronze he doesn't just say you know behold four chariots came out from between two bronze mountains he says four chariots came out from between two mountains and the mountains were mountains of bronze it's almost like he's emphasizing the fact of, of the the bronze mountains and why why they're bronze um, there are a lot of different interpretations as to what these two mountains are. Um, the best two, uh, I think the only feasible two that uh, that are actually um, possibly being accurate are uh, the first, they represent Mount Moriah where Jerusalem sat and, uh, and, and the Mount of Olives. And in between those two mountains uh, was the Kidron Valley and that's where Jehoshaphat destroyed you know, a Gentile army in the in the you know uh, it's mentioned in Joel three, uh, 
as the Valley of Jehoshaphat, you know, and so it's even called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Where and in Joel three, it's that Valley, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, is where God would bring nations to judge them. That's a prophecy in Joel. Uh, now that makes sense to say that these were the two mountains. Um, I, I don't ascribe to that view, but you know a lot of people do, and and I don't really have a problem with it. Um, that doesn't explain. It seems like Zechariah is wanting to emphasize the fact that they're bronze mountains, uh, and you know some people have said, well, bronze is uh, you know used for war, riches, and it just shows how uh, you know uh, impregnable God's kingdom is, and all those things. Um, there is another interpretation that I'm more convinced by. Uh, and it's because I can't get past the fact that the mountains are made of bronze, which was, you know, is valuable material in that day. You know, uh, when Solomon built God's temple, the first temple, uh, he adorned the entrance of the temple with two gigantic bronze pillars. Uh, you can read about that in First Kings chapter seven, verse fifteen. Uh, now, this image of these two bronze pillars. Would I mean it would be fresh in the minds of the people to whom Zechariah was prophesying because that's what they were doing. They were rebuilding the temple. Their minds and their hearts were focused on the temple of God, and they were rebuilding it uh, to reestablish the temple, reestablish God's people. And so, yeah, I think the bronze mountains symbolize the war chariots coming out from the temple of God, coming out from the place of God to bring judgment and justice to God's enemies. Now, whether you agree with me or not it really doesn't make a big difference because either way we're talking about war chariots and we're talking about them proceeding out from god uh to bring judgment so uh whether you think it's the kidron valley and between the the mountain of jerusalem and the mount of olives or whether you see this as a a, a symbol of the temple of god proceeding out they're coming from god either way and this is what the this is the vision that Zechariah sees. Now, now here's where it gets interesting. Um, in case you haven't noticed, John took a lot of his imagery in Revelation from the book of Zechariah. We've seen that in different chapters so far, and we're going to see that we're going to see that in uh, quite a few of the rest of the chapters in Zechariah. Uh, but we're also going to see it here as well. Zechariah. Uh, not only sees the chariots and the horses pulling the chariots, uh, but he sees the color of the horses, and their color is the same colors that are listed by John when he describes the four horsemen. Uh, in the first, the in the this is uh, Zechariah six verse two and three. It says, "In the first chariot were red horses, the second chariot black horses, and in the third chariot white horses, and in the fourth chariot grizzled and bay horses." Now. The the grizzled and bay, some translations say dappled, some translations say pale. Um, that Hebrew word there is notoriously hard to uh, translate. And, um, you know, there's a lot of other issues. But the first thing we ought to take notice of uh, is that chapter 1, remember in chapter 1, chapter 1 of Zechariah, from chapter 1 to chapter 6, these chapters, they compose one big section that entails all these visions, these eight visions that we've been going through. All these visions, and chapter 6 is going to end these visions, and then we'll start a new section in chapter 7. Um, all these visions show the victory God will accomplish and the judgment that God's enemies will endure. Uh, if you remember, as we think back to the previous chapters, the previous podcasts all the all the visions Zechariah have seen have centered around judgment and and 
victory and redemption for God's people. Uh, and here is no different. But in chapter one, we saw these these horsemen. Uh, if you'll remember the the very beginning of uh, Zechariah, he saw these. Uh, uh, the beginning of the book, he saw these horsemen. They were. Uh, for lack of a better way to put it, they were doing reconnaissance among the earth. You remember they reported back to God. Uh, they were sent to and fro and uh, to patrolling the earth, and they reported back to God that the land was at rest. Uh, the pagan lands were at rest, and it was you know they were talking about the land being at rest while God's people were suffering and building and and trying. You know the temple lied in ruins, and the people were disheartened, and the pagan nations seemed to be doing just fine. Well now. Now, here at the end of this section, we see these same riders, uh, but now they're 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 pulling war chariots and they're going forth to bring the judgment of God, and, and we're going to see that in a few verses. Um, they're going forth to. It, it's interesting. It toward the end of the first section of this chapter, uh, it's going to say some translations are going to say these horses uh, have appeased my wrath. God's going to say they've appeased my wrath, wrath in the land of the north. Um, but the, it literally says uh, they've given my spirit rest in the land of the north. So in the very first chapter of Zechariah, we see the nations at rest while God's people are toiling, uh, the temples in shambles and uh, the people trying to rebuild. And now here at the end of this visionary section, we see that God is going to have rest. Uh, And it harkens back to even creation. When the work was done, uh, the six days of creation, God rested. Well, here, God's work will be accomplished. It will be finished. There will be victory for God's people. There will be judgment for God's enemies. Now, back to the colors. Um, We aren't specifically told why the colors matter in Zechariah. So let me say that right out front. Everything that we're going to, you know, everything that we're going to talk about, about the colors of the horses, uh, stems from uh, the New Testament looking back. Uh, Many people have many different interpretations, but uh, I can't help but believe that John understood the imagery of Zechariah quite clearly. Uh, when he was inspired to use the same imagery in Revelation. Uh, And so there he gives us more information about the colors of the horses. Uh, He tells us that, uh, and let me go on and say this at the outset, in this context, um, the horses definitely are bringing judgment. We're going to see that uh, later. Um, And so all of this about the color of the horses is stuff that I'm importing from Revelation. If I were to preach a sermon on Zechariah, I may not bring all the this uh, information in just because uh, the first readers of the text of Zechariah wouldn't have had all this information. I believe they could have extrapolated it from the fact that the the chariots were going to the the north and the south. They were going to the cities of God's enemies, and they were going definitely to appease His wrath and bring judgment. But that all being said. Uh, John gives us more information about the color of the horses. He says that the red symbolizes war because its rider is permitted to take peace from the earth. That's in Revelation 6-4. 
the white horse symbolized victory in war or conquering. That's in uh, verse 2 of chapter 6 in Revelation. The black horse symbolized famine because, remember, the black horse held a pair of scales in his hand and we're told that the price of barley and oil and wine was so high that no one could afford him. That's verses 5 and 6 in Revelation chapter 6. And then, of course, you got the pale horse, which is actually uh, a sickly green color um, that symbolized death. Um, it, and it says that the rider who sat on him was death and hell followed with him. Uh, needless to say, there's lots of discussion about, you know, the words that are translated grisly and dappled and pale and what that exact color was and all those things. Um, and like I said, the Hebrew word here is notoriously hard to translate. But the similarities are too great for me as an individual to dismiss between John's, uh, John's vision in Revelation 6 and Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 6. And so since John gives us uh, somewhat of an inspired interpretation of the colors of the horses, you know, that's the opinion that I choose to go with. Um, So these war chariots are sent forth and they're sent out by God's will. And they're sent out to serve God. We read in verses 4 and 5. We're back in Zechariah chapter 6 now. Verses 4 and 5 says, Then I spoke and said, this is Zechariah speaking. Then I spoke and said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these, my Lord? The angel replied to me, These are the four spirits of heaven going forth after standing before the Lord of all the earth. The angel tells Zechariah that these four chariots are the four spirits of heaven. Uh, In ancient times, you might call them the four winds of heaven, you know. And and so here's yet another. I told you this was a very difficult chapter. It's yet another area of contention where people will disagree. Um, uh, Since I'm the one speaking, I'm going to tell you my opinion. Um, I can't help but believe these are are God's angelic messengers going to do his will by the power of his spirit. Uh, later we'll see that they are said at the same in the same way in, in chapter 1 they're said here to, to patrol or walk back and forth among the earth just like we saw in chapter 1 and just like the angelic host told God, you know, they were doing at the beginning of the book of Job, you know, what have you, where have you been? I've been going to and fro, you know, walking about the earth. Um, so that's why, I, that's why I tend to lean that direction. Um, there are some who see the identification of the four spirits of heaven as a fourfold description of God's spirit. Um, and it's possible, you know, it's, uh, it's God's spirit that goes forth bringing judgment. I don't really have a problem with that interpretation. Uh, in fact, it, you know, it's definitely by God's spirit that salvation and judgment go forth among the earth. But, but here I'm inclined to, to, to think that these are God's, um, uh, judgment bringers, so to speak. Uh, regardless of what view you take, the message is the same. It's the same. God's judgment goes forth, and God's judgment is universal. That's what the point that He's trying to make. The four chariots imply the you know the four points of the compass, and over and again we see uh, the number four in Scripture used to to show the whole earth, the whole creation. Uh, it may seem like little Israel is struggling to get along right now. It may seem like you know. Uh, you know that uh, all these big, big world powers are, are have them uh, right where they want them, but uh, God is the one who is in control of all of these things, and we're going to see that clearly. Uh, it may 
today, it may seem like you, um, you know, are struggling to get along in your life. But understand that God works all things according to the counsel of his will and everything is under his control. The great Persian machine that was the world power at the time of the Persians, they had conquered Babylon. Uh, the Persian machine, they may look like an unstoppable foe to this little nation that's trying to rebuild God's house. But even the great Persian army is nothing compared to the Lord who rules armies. So in the same way, the writers represented God's dominion and knowledge uh, of all the earth in chapter 1. That's what they represent now. And now they're equipped in war chariots, and the judgment of God is going out from the temple of God, from the bronze mountains, from the bronze pillars. They go out to the four corners of the earth, serving the Lord and bringing judgment. And uh, notice it tells us where the judgment's headed. Verse 6 says, with one, with, one, with one of which the black horses are going forth to the north country, and the white ones go forth after them. While the dappled ones go forth to the south country, that's the grizzled, the bay, the, you know, uh, horses. The black horses, you know, remember they represent famine going to the north country. To the north of Israel was, was enemies. You know, first it was Assyria, then it was Babylon, and then Persia conquered Babylon. Uh, and, and it's going to use all, all through the Bible, you know, although Babylon was conquered by, by the Persians by this time, the word Babylon, the notion of Babylon still symbolized everything that was wicked and against God in the mind of the Jewish man. Even today, the word Babylon has, you know, an ominous effect. You know, it's just evil personified. Um, in Revelation, John calls the earthly Jerusalem Babylon simply because of the the wickedness and ungodliness that's found there. But despite all that, as the Israelites were rebuilding, there still loomed the Persian world power over them. Uh, the great king of the Persians was their overlord, and they knew it. Uh, God's kingdom and rule over the earth couldn't, uh, you know, it seemed like it couldn't start from this little meager effort to rebuild this destroyed city, could it? You know, not with this huge uh, empire. You know, the the Persian, uh, they called him the great king because he was the king of kings. That's what he described himself as, the king of kings. He would subject all the other kings to his rule. Uh, but it says that, of course, the black horses or the famine, they're going to go to the north. They're going to go to Israel's enemy. Uh, but notice also that said that the white horses, the ones symbolizing conquering and victory in war, they're going to go after the black horses uh, as they go toward the north, as they go toward the Babylon, the Persia. Um, there would be war. There would be war in Persia. There would be war in Babylon, ultimately ensuring their total defeat, and they would be judged by God through this conquering power, and famine and death would ensue. Now, here's a quick note. If you happen to have a New International Version and you're reading this text, it says that the white horses went west rather than north. This is due to a it's a it's a tradition that developed that's you know, it tries to make the the four chariots go in four directions, uh, but you can't substantiate that from the text. It does not say that they went west. It says it went after them. Uh, it's just simply not what it says. The, the white horses follow the black to the north. All of Israel's enemies attack them from the north or the south. Syria, Babylon, Persia from the north, and Egypt from the south and that's what it says next is the dappled horses which symbolize death they would head to the south down to the down to egypt so 
What you see here are the two great enemies of the people of God. On the one hand, you have uh, Babylon, which is, symbolizes all that's evil, you know, Syria, Babylon, Persia. Uh, and on the other hand, you have Egypt. And sandwiched in between these two powers was this little broken down country called Israel. Uh, and at this time, Israel was rebuilding, but it was nowhere near finished. There was, there was no wall to protect them, and the, the temple of God was hardly what it once was. And Haggai, the old people who had seen the previous temple, were crying because this temple would never be as great as, as Solomon's temple. Uh, the people might have looked around and been filled with hopelessness as they saw uh, these two great massive cities. They they have the promise of God that they would rebuild and, and they would again be God's people. But it, it sure didn't seem like it in the face of these two enemies. I mean, how could they possibly go against these two? Um, but here Zechariah sees ju- the judgment of God going forth from the temple of God to the enemies of God. Uh, it makes no difference how strong and powerful they are. It makes no difference how weak and unprepared Israel is at the present time. The God of all armies has sent judgment upon them and promised his people that they would have deliverance. Uh, verse 7 says, When the strong ones went out, they were eager to go to patrol the earth. That's the same thing that we saw earlier in, in the first chapter. Uh, the angelic host did. And he said, Go patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried out to me and spoke to me, saying, See, those who are going to the land of the north have appeased my wrath in the land of the north. That's what they went for, to bring judgment and appease God's wrath. Uh, literally, the text says, To give my spirit. Spirit rest in the land of the north. Uh, at a time when Zechariah and the people had everything to be down and out about, God gave Zechariah a vision showing him the purposes of all, the all powerful God. Judgment would come. God is at war with his enemies. No matter how small and how insignificant his people seem, no matter how powerful the enemies seem, God is in control and he will bring victory for his people. Notice that the riders who went to the north are going to bring judgment. They're going to appeal the wrath of God by judging his enemies. Um, and we've already said that uh, that's talking about giving my spirit rest. Um, in the first chapter, the writers reported back to the that the pagans were at rest, but now the war chariots go forth and it's God's justice that has been satisfied. It's God who is at rest. Uh, and that points to the, the work being completed. As God's people, we need not fear the world. We need not fear our spiritual enemies. We need not fear when we see the massive army and the growing number of God's enemies and the persecutors of the church. Uh, faith is being able to see beyond the physical and hold on to the promises as if they have already come to pass. Zechariah is seeing all this in the spiritual realm, but none of it has come to pass yet. The promises of God are certain. Everything God has promised will certainly come to pass. We must remember that judgment will come and redemption and victory will come. But as God told Zechariah, it won't be by might and it won't be by power, but it'll be by God's spirit that the victory's won. But now imagine if you were Zechariah and you had just received all these incredible visions of victory over God's enemies, the establishment of God's kingdom, uh, what an encouraging picture and how exciting it must have been. But then Zechariah walks outside and the city is still in shambles. The people are still disheartened. Persia still looming large and ruling over them. For Zechariah, although you know he surely trusted in the promise of God, <clears throat> excuse me, I can imagine him wanting to know how all this could be possible. Uh, 
I mean, even today, when we look at the world full of people who increasingly hate Christ and hate his church, it seems like everything is going to hell in the handbasket. Where's the victory? When's it going to start turning around? I mean, we don't even sometimes see a glimpse of what God's doing in this world. So this is where the scene changes. Uh, Now Zechariah's visions have, have been completed. He's going to be sent out to the people to show them the truths that God has showed him. So in verse 9 it says, The word of the Lord also came to me saying, Take an offering from the exiles from from Heldai, Tobajai, and Jediah, and you go the same day and enter into the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, where they have arrived from Babylon. Now, so these exiles from Babylon have come back to the land, uh, and I told you why that we're still using the word Babylon. But they have come back from the land, and Zechariah he tells Zechariah, "Go meet these guys." Go to the house of Josiah, and you take an offering from them. In verse 11, it says, Take silver and gold, make an ornate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now, remember Joshua? He was the guy from chapter 3 that God ordained the high priest, took away his sin, gave him righteous robes. So God tells Zechariah, I want you to go to these men who've returned from the Babylonian captivity. I want you to go to the house of Josiah, which was, um, which was, you know, one of them that had returned. And I want you to show them the hope that awaits. Um, these men had brought silver and gold back from their captivity. Uh, Zechariah is told to take that silver and gold, make a crown, fashion it with your hands, and set it upon the head of Joshua the high priest. Um, and this is the one that you know was the high priest. This was a symbolic action which would point to a greater reality. And it would show how God would conquer all the nations of the earth and bring his kingdom back to his people. Zechariah is told what to say to explain these actions to the people. In verse 12 it says, Then say to him, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold the man, whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will will be between the two offices. Okay, so this guy, he's saying this is who this is. This is Behold the man. This is the branch. Remember the branch? We saw him in chapter 3 as well. It's, that, it's how God said that he would remove the sin and iniquity of the people in one day. I'm going to send forth my branch. It's uh, universally uh, throughout the prophets. No, It's the Messiah, the name for the Messiah who would come. Uh, it's uh, the one who would come forth and fulfill all the promises of deliverance, redemption, judgment. Uh, like I said, we saw it in chapter 3. God said he would remove the sin of the people in a single day. By sending the branch. And here Zechariah says that the branch will come and he will build the temple of the Lord. Uh, the men uh, were working right now to build the temple in Jerusalem. And if you remember back to the prophecy of Zerubbabel, it said that Zerubbabel would complete that temple. But here it, it's saying Zechariah is to show them that the true and perfect temple of God will be built by the Messiah of God when he comes. Jesus did indeed build the temple of God. His body is that temple. 
It was crucified. And just like he said, he built it again in three days. He told the Pharisees, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. And more to the point, by sending the spirit into his people, we ourselves become the temple of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's people themselves are the true temple. We, we the ones who worship in spirit and truth, we, we, we don't worship on this mountain or that mountain. As Jesus said to the woman in the well, at the well, uh, then Zechariah says something amazing. He said, this priest who, I, who I'm going to anoint, this branch of God who will be the priest, he would also wear this crown and sit on the throne. Uh, he'll be a priest on the throne. He'll be both priest and king. Uh, this was unheard of in Israel. Uh, it just couldn't be. The high priest had to be from the tribe of Levi. And the Messiah who would rule on David's throne is said to come from the tribe of Judah. Uh, the priest could not be king and the king could not be priest. There were two different offices. But here we see the picture of the Messiah who would be both priest and and king Zechariah says that the council of his peace will be between the two offices one man occupying two offices as priest and king Jesus as priest king is clearly described for us in Hebrews chapter 7 I suggest that you read it to see how he holds those offices uh, so the true temple builder here it's Jesus Christ. It's the branch. He will be the one who fulfills the promise, fulfills the promise of the kingdom of, the, of God. Finally, Zechariah says at the end of the chapter, Now the crown will be, remember the crown that he put on Joshua's head, the crown will be a reminder in the temple of the Lord to Helam, uh, Tobijah, Jedidiah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah, those who are far off, those who are, verse 15, those who are far off will come and build the temple of the Lord. He's talking about the Gentiles right there. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and it will take place if you completely obey the Lord your God. Not only will the true temple be built by the branch, but people from far off. This is a picture of the perfect temple of God made up from the people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who will come to faith in Christ and become part of his body. The, to everyone who believes, he's given them power to become the sons of God. Zechariah is told uh, to place the crown in the temple uh, the Jews were building at that time to signify the greater temple into which uh, not just some of the Israelites from Babylon would come, but people from all over, from far off, would stream into Christ is that true temple. And we're in him as we come to him by faith. Now, one last thing before we close this section. In verse 12, Zechariah is told to say to the people, Behold the man whose name is the branch. Uh, I don't know, you may not remember it, but this is the exact same phrase that Pilate said when he presented Jesus to the Jews after scourging him. He didn't say whose name is the branch, but he said, Behold the man. Uh, the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy had taken place. Jesus was crowned, not with silver and gold, but with thorns, signifying the curse of God on mankind. He was given purple robe, and instead of honor by the Jews, he was given scorn and mocking. When Pilate said, Behold the man, they didn't rejoice and bow down. They yelled, Crucify him. 
But Jesus did indeed build the temple, and he is continuing to build it. It may seem like things are falling apart and the world's moving away from God. It may seem that things in your life are moving away from the blessing and and the joy of what you've hoped, but God's chariots are still moving toward judgment against his enemies. And that crown still hangs in the temple as a reminder that God's branch has come and and redeemed his people, and he will again come and consummate his kingdom, uh, making everything wrong, making it right. Um, The only thing we must do is hold fast to the promises, turn our eyes upon Jesus, and behold the man exactly like Zechariah said to do.